Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church Mission Viejo Campus. Whether you're listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful to live in a place that is bathed in your glory, your goodness, your power. And God, we recognize in the midst of fallenness and evil inside of us and outside of us, God, you are at work to redeem all things. You are at work to call out of human history a people, a community, to put you on display. And God, we come to celebrate uh, your grace to us in that. And so, Lord, we name you worthy of all that we have and all that we are. And God, we pray that you'd give us grace this morning to grow into what you already say is true of us. We're saints, we're priests. We're ministers, we're ambassadors. God, make that more and more true as we grow deeper and deeper into your kingdom by the power of your spirit. Amen. 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 Go ahead and grab a seat. Preferably your own. (laughs) Hey, good morning. My name is Mike, early risers. Good morning. We're really excited uh, to see you. Uh, A couple of things. If you're new to our community, we really do want to say welcome. We are big fans of empty seats. And here's the reason. Um, these, uh, each of these empty seats represent two things. Number one, represent uh, room to grow and to uh, have a greater and greater impact into our community, of course. But the second thing uh, that these empty seats represent is room for you. And uh, we absolutely never want to be or look fully put together or a finished product. Uh, And we absolutely believe two things will happen as you dive in. Number one, uh, hopefully and prayerfully, God will use this community to change you and prayerfully that God will use you to change this community. And uh, you have something in your bulletins that one step towards that is we just have, we have all sorts of needs to do this. And uh, for some of you, this would be a great first step to getting to know people, a great first step in serving. So you have this guy right here. Go ahead and fill it out. Or if you want to invent a role for yourself, uh, go ahead. Like, I want to be professional barbecue consumer and football watcher uh, at 1 o'clock. So you may want to put that down there. Put these in the box as you go. Take out a Bible. We're going to uh, the book of Matthew this morning. Now, we started a series last week called Why Jesus Hates Religion. And then it's uh, proven to be uh, a provoker of some consternation uh, among folks in our, in our community because you think Jesus, you think religion. And the point we were making last week is that there is a fundamental difference. There are good things about religion. There's a good thing, there are good things about all the world's religions. But fundamentally, the heart of religion, somehow earning, striving, proving, whether it's through karma and nirvana, whether it's pillars, whether it's laws, uh, whether it's reincarnation, um, all, that whole system represents one way to approach God. The gospel of Jesus is that God approached us. While we were sinners, before we did anything religious, before we did anything good, he demonstrated his love for us and pursued us in that Christ died for us. So we want to just talk about and continually explore the difference between the gospel, the good news, and the message of Christ, and what we commonly associate as religious thought in America today. So we'll start in Matthew chapter 23. Giddy up. You guys Okay. Did anything, all right, let me ask you this. Anything good happen this week that you can say that God uh, was the author of? All right, give me a couple. 
Ohio State. God's favored people just roll on. Absolutely. Anything else? UCLA. Yep, that shows you right there. Miracles still happen. Absolutely, Sam. Well done. Anything else? Anything non-football related? Which, I mean, I understand. Yes. Oh, that's funny. So you're on the phone with somebody you're supporting in Africa. They have a need for $100. And while you're on the phone, somebody knocks on the door and says, does, does $100 mean anything to you? No, that doesn't happen. That's just in the Bible times. That stuff doesn't really happen. She tried to give it to you the night before, but you were asleep. Well, that'll teach you. Okay, that rocks. All right. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. What? A girlfriend who has cancer given a 15% chance to live is cancer-free as of Friday. No, that stuff doesn't happen. Sorry, that's all coincidence. Anything else? That rocks. Anything else? See, this is big stuff. I mean, comparable with Ohio State. Sure. Anything else? Come on. People in the back row, you know who you are. I barely see you. You come and sit in the back row for a reason, because the godliest people sit back there. So what happened? About two yeah, we're excited about two services. Absolutely. So we're not. We don't have a 9/11 memorial up here, just in case we we were a little late to the 9/11 like memorial thing. Uh, no, we this this whole service is sponsored uh, brought to you by the numbers. 9 and 11. Matthew 23. All right, now that was some good stuff. Thank you very much. And back row people, you can do better next week. Now, Jesus, the fascinating thing when you read the Gospels of Jesus is that the folks that were most antagonistic towards him were the religious folks of his day. And the folks that he had the harshest words for were the religious folks of his day. I mean, he, and he calls them names. See, we don't get this in Sunday school. He calls them children of vipers. He calls them blind guides. He calls them, uh, calls them hypocrites. I mean, he really goes after them. And he does it because these were the folks that were the most secure in their rightness with God. See, one of the things world discovers, the best way to hide from God is by being religious. If you want to, if you, if you're around addicts, if you're around people at the bottom of the barrel, they know they need something. But if you're fully confident in the external trappings of your religiousness, you're sick, but you don't know it. Because you're convinced you're healthy. And so Jesus comes and he shakes them out of their complacency by saying, no, 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 you, for all your religiousness, you've missed it. You've missed it. And so he goes after people called Pharisees. Now, Pharisees in the first century... We're the religious all-stars. These were people who'd taken the 600 plus commandments of the Old Testament and added 1,500 rules and regulations on top of those. And he goes after them. That's like somebody coming in to America and saying Billy Graham had missed it. Billy Graham was wrong. I mean, you just go, no, that's not how it works. So Matthew 23, Jesus is mildly critiquing the religious leaders of his day. Verse 27, 
Woe to you. Now, W-O-E is a way of saying, watch out, impending judgment is coming your way unless you change. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now, we're going to look at hypocrisy next week. So we're just going to bypass that word. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, to understand whitewashed tombs, keep your finger in Matthew and go to the book of Numbers. Go to Numbers chapter 19. Fewer Bibles turning on Numbers 19. Go to Numbers 19, verse 16. He calls them whitewashed tombs, which I can, we can assume, just not even knowing the context, that that's not a compliment. Would you agree? Not a good thing to be called. Whitewashed tombs. Now, this, the, Numbers 19, a series of commandments, verse 16. Anyone out in the open who touches someone who has been killed with a sword or someone who has died a natural death or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days. Okay? That God was teaching the Israelites all sorts of interesting lessons about himself and about life. And, and one of the things he says is you are to avoid coming into contact anything associated with death. Don't go near it. Don't touch it. What happened in the first century is that they had these big graves along the journey up to Jerusalem. Three times a year, Jews from all over Israel were commanded to go up from the surrounding countryside to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. And you can imagine, not all Jews could afford this every time, so you're saving up money, you take time away from your job, you make a very, very long journey. And if you happen to step on a grave, you're unclean for seven days and miss the festival. It doesn't matter how far you've come, how much money you've spent, you came into contact with a grave, sorry. Better luck next time, right? So what they would do is they would take this white lime solution and they would wash the graves so that they would stick out and you would know to stay away. Now, back then, the color stood out. It was just rocky, deserty, barren. And so the, these actually looked relatively neat and put together. And so Jesus is simply saying, listen, Pharisees, your religiousness makes you look great on the outside, like a tomb, a whitewashed tomb looks good on the outside, but inside, in the same way the tomb is full of death, so are you. Pretty significant critique, wouldn't you agree? You look great, but inside you're full of death. There, there's an impulse in us, the impulse of religiousness, that is totally concerned with how we look on the outside. And the gospel of Christ is concerned with our hearts. The outside matters, but only as it flows from the inside. But religiousness says it's the outside that matters most. And in the same way, the Pharisees looked great on the outside, but on the inside were full of death. Jesus takes that metaphor and he broadens it to include anybody and everybody who's going to come after him. Go, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. 
So the religious impulse is to focus just on the externals, to put your faith just in the externals, to matter more about how you look on the outside. The impulse of Jesus, the message of Jesus concerns the heart. How we doing? Hmm. All right, so here are our options about that response. Number one, you're bored, which I don't blame you. Number two, you're sleepy. Don't blame you there either. Number three, you're so profoundly impressed with the wisdom flowing from this mouth that you're stunned into silence, which I'm not quite sure is happening. Or number four, some combination of the other three. So just so we know, nine, if we're going to have an ongoing relationship, come in caffeinated. Okay, just semi-alert. Now, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus got into all sorts of trouble because people kept saying, dude, the, the, this Jesus character is trying to get rid of the Old Testament. So Jesus feels uh, it important to say, verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish or get rid of the Old Testament law or the Old Testament prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, to show you what they're really like. And how they really are to be interpreted. And then he talks about how every little speck of the Old Testament law will be fulfilled. And then jump down to verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness, which is a, another way of saying rightness with God. Unless your rightness with God surpasses or is greater than that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, on the list of things that Jesus said to his contemporaries that blew their minds, this has to be top three. Hey, and he's talking to the poor in spirit, to the meek, to the lowly, to the poor, to the peasants. And he's saying, okay, those religious all-stars that follow 2100 rules, commandments, and regulations, your rightness with God has to be greater than that. So what would you think? I'm dead. Right? The kingdom of God is not for me. Because it sounds like what Jesus is saying is, okay, the Pharisees obey 2,100 commandments. You have to obey 2,101. And what Jesus is in actuality saying is, no, 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 no. The Pharisees are playing the wrong game altogether. If obedience to commandments could save you, the Pharisees would be in. But obedience to commandments can't save you. So the rightness that Jesus has and that Jesus is preaching is, a, is a, of a different kind entirely. And he goes on to illustrate this. Go down to verse 21. You've heard it said to the people long ago, don't murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judge it, judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka! which we all say in the freeway, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. My goodness, what in the world is he saying? If external acts could save us, the Pharisees are in. External acts can't save us. So the rightness that Jesus is concerned with is of the heart. So which is easier? Not to murder or not to be angry. Which is easier? Not to murder. So we got Pharisees walking around saying, I have totally fulfilled God's command in loving my neighbor simply because I haven't murdered them. 
And Jesus is saying, well, we got a couple issues with that. Number one, you've actually made God's law lighter by focusing it only on the external. And secondly, if we took care of anger and contempt, would we take care of murder as a natural extension? Absolutely. So Jesus takes the outward religious expression that the Pharisees found security in and instead went after their what? Heart. He's showing them that the rightness that God requires is a rightness of heart, not a rightness of behavior. The rightness of behavior follows from a rightness of heart. But a rightness of behavior will not lead to a rightness of heart by itself. Are you tracking with me? Now, behavior is going to matter, but not in the way we think. He gives another example. I don't like this one personally. Verse 27. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Check. Check. I'm great. Sexually pure. And then he throws. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Which is easier? To not commit adultery or to not lust? To not commit adultery. They've made the law of God lighter and they made it only about the externals. See, the Pharisees believed that here's what, what they would do is they'd take a law and then they'd build a fence around it. So, do not commit adultery soon morphed into do not look at a woman at all. They would brag about how they'd run into walls because they were so busy looking down and avoiding looking at women. Jesus' point is you can do all of that and still have lust and adultery in your heart. Because what's the issue? Does Jesus come to change our behavior? Or does he come to change our hearts? See, the Pharisees were secure in their action. And Jesus is simply saying, you've missed it entirely. You're bragging Because you haven't committed adultery, let's talk about lust. You're bragging because you haven't committed murder. Let's talk about anger. And all God's people went, ooh. Because then he's talking about me. Go if you would to Matthew chapter 6. See, I don't like this about Jesus. I like when he talks about love. And I like it when he talks about don't judge me because you have a plank in your own eye. I like that stuff. Then he starts going after my heart, and I'm going, well, okay. Verse 6. Oh, chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness. Notice that's in quotes. That's a very specific phrase that refers to the three central acts of Jewish piety. Fasting, praying, and almsgiving. Giving to the poor. Jesus says, be careful... Not to do them before men. And he means publicly. In order to be seen by people, if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Is it okay to do public things for God? Yes. But if you're doing public things for God only to win the approval and applause of the public, then Jesus simply says, okay, if you're doing it for their approval, great, you can have it. But you don't have mine. So he's not saying it's wrong to be caught doing good stuff in public. He's saying it's wrong to do stuff in public in order to be caught. See the difference? Niner! 
So then he starts giving examples. He says, uh, he says about giving. So, verse 2, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Go down to prayer, verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Go down to fasting, verse 16. When you fast, do not dress up and look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show people they're fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so it will not be obvious to people you're fasting. Do you see what Jesus is saying? You can be doing the central acts of righteousness that God demanded of the Jewish people. Almsgiving, fasting, and prayer. And if, you're, if, and if it's coming from a dark place in your heart, you have your reward. If you're doing it simply for the approval, great, you're doing it for the approval. See, there's this impulse you and I have to think if we're just doing the right things, singing the right songs, engaging in the right outward behavior, we're good. The problem is that Jesus keeps bringing it back to the heart. And he says, listen, you can be doing all this great religious stuff, but if your heart isn't right and you're doing it for approval, well, then that's all you get. See, that scares me. Go to uh, Luke 19. Sorry. Luke 19. Nine, how we doing? All right, you don't have to hype. I mean, I'll take woo and whistles, but I just want to make sure you're following along. All right. Luke 19. Let's go to verse um, 45. Last week we talked about Jesus cleansing the temple, forming a whip, driving out the animals, turning over tables. And, and each of the Gospels gives us a slightly different take on this same event. And so on this one, verse 45, then Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. Remember, at the temple, they were selling animals for sacrifice. And they had this temple monetary system that you had to exchange your money for temple money and they would take a cut of that. So it was a really, it became a corrupt deal. Jesus is ticked. He's, he's throwing all of this stuff around. You can only imagine. And here's what he says. Verse 46, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer. And this is from Isaiah and it means prayer for the nations. But you have made it into a den of robbers. Now, to understand den of robbers, keep your finger here and go to Jeremiah. We were all there this morning. Jeremiah, verse, uh, chapter 7. Jeremiah 7. Now this is where it gets really, really scary. Jeremiah 7, page 419 on this, in this Bible. So if you have this one, 419. Jeremiah 7, here we go. This is the word, verse 1. 
We got it? All right, if you hit Psalms, go right. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. So he's standing at the temple. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave your forefathers forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to this other God and follow other gods you've not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we're safe? Safe to do these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? The word den means hideout. So you live unjustly, unjustly, and you live sinfully out here, and then you come into the temple and think you are safe. It's your hideout. So when Jesus is flipping over tables, this is the passage he's quoting. Now, do you understand what he's getting at here? It's the classic college student, I drank like crazy this week, slept around like crazy, cheated like crazy, but I went to church on Sunday. And you go, I'm glad you came to church. You need church. But do you think somehow that just going to church makes a difference? I mean, it's, it's, like, it's what I do in my heart. I have a really, really crummy day, so I make sure I get up extra early and have a very powerful quiet time with God i got to somehow earn it back. And so what my trust is in isn't His grace and mercy, but it's in what? I'm doing the right ritual. I'm at the right place. I'm singing the right songs. I'm doing my prayer, my fasting, my whatever. So the prophet is going after people who have a false sense of security. Just because they're in the right place doing the right religious things, he says that doesn't matter. Why? Because your heart isn't right. What's the, what's the issue Jesus cares most about? The heart. Religion cares most about the outside. Jesus cares most about the heart. And when you're focused only on the outside, you can be lulled into a false sense of security because you can always find somebody whose outsides look worse. Would you agree with that? Go to Luke 18. This is classic Religiousness, right here. Luke 18, verse 9. Now, do you guys have any questions on this? Is this making sense? See, we can, we can have conversation like this and right in the middle of church. Isn't it amazing? All right, so no questions on this? You're going to let me go? Luke 18, verse 9. To some... 
who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Jesus gives this parable. Now, here's what's fascinating. He's going to tell a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And we're going to be tempted to look down on the Pharisee in the same way the Pharisee looked down on the tax collector. So, so Jesus traps us. Because the minute you say, man, I'm glad I'm not a Pharisee, bam, you're a Pharisee. The comparison game is dead end. So here we go. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, a religious all-star. If anybody is right with God, it's a Pharisee. I mean, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, if there's anybody right with God, it's a Pharisee in the first century. And the other one was a tax collector. If there's anyone wrong with God in the first century, it's a tax collector. Greedy. They've sold out their people to make money. They're unjust. They're immoral. They, they swindle people and cheat people and intimidate people. Their own people they do this to. So literally, the New Testament has two categories. Sinners and tax collectors. You'll read it in the New Testament. Sinners and tax collectors. Because tax collectors are worse. You're unimpressed. <laughs> the Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. There are many eyes in this, in this prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, which was more than the law required, and give a tenth or a tithe of all I receive, which was more than the law required. So this guy is like overachiever. But the tax collector stood apart too for a different reason. The Pharisee stood apart because he was illustrating his separateness from other men and superiority. The tax collector stood apart because he was illustrating his inferiority and uncleanliness related to other people. Tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast. Now that, that's a Middle Eastern expression of grieving that's normally reserved just for women. So applied to a guy, it is extreme sorrow and anguish. He couldn't even look up, but he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus utters, this has to be on the top three things that just shocked everybody. I tell you that the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home right with God. Awesome. The Pharisee's confidence was in what? His actions, right? I go over and above, right? I not only go to church, but I give money. And I listen to some big bald guy. I not only go to, I not only am nice to people, but I actually bless people when I'm driving instead of cursing them, right? I mean, you can just, there are a thousand examples of this, but for the Pharisee, his confidence fully was the, in, in the externals. I'm better than this dude. And this dude, if he had any externals, right, he would have boasted about him, but he was so at the end of his rope, he has no externals to boast about. So what does he do instead? Have mercy on me, God. That's it. So they approach God, right? One of them, here's all I've done for you. The other, I got nothing. 
One says, here are all the externals. I'm dressed up. I'm a whitewashed tomb. I'm looking pretty good. The other one simply says, no, no, no. I know how wicked my heart is. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I mean, think about it this way. Suppose I decided I was going to date my wife. And I was going to dazzle her. So I, I get dressed up which is a big deal. I get my one haircut. Take that however way you want to. I, I'm smell, I smell good. Uh, she dresses up. I pick her up. We're having a great conversation in the car on the way over. We're talking. We go to this our favorite restaurant, and I have flowers waiting on the table. And then here she comes, and we have this great conversation. Then we go for a walk on the beach, and then we go home. And she's just her feminine heart is just so blessed and encouraged, and she just blesses me in return. I say, sweet. Next date night rolls around. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to put on the same outfit. I'm going to smell the same way. Um, we're going to have the exact same conversation about the exact same topics on the way to the car. We're going to go to the same restaurant, sit at the same table, same uh, kind of flowers, ask her the same questions, have the same conversation, go to, the walk, go to a walk on a beach, go for a walk. Hello, for a walk on the beach. Is she blessed? It's better than nothing. <laughs> and imagine if I dated her that way three, four, five, six weeks in a row. How would she be feeling? Would she be feeling loved, honored, treasured? No, why? Because I'm trusting in just the mechanics of it to do the work for me. Right? If I just do the right outward behaviors, we're fine. But she would say to me, you can do the, all the behaviors you want. Your heart's not in it. So Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. In the same way, I couldn't just do the right things and say, see, honey, I love you. So why do we think that works with him? See, the religious impulse is to make the behavior the issue the good news of the gospel well the bad news of the gospel is that your heart is what needs help the good news is that we get a new one go to second corinthians chapter five one last passage verse 16 2 Corinthians. If you don't know where that is, it's right after 1 Corinthians. Come on, nine. Come on! There's a gentleman with glasses who's unimpressed. Just shakes his head. Shakes his head at me. It's like he's either heard this before or it just isn't funny. Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And those of you familiar with the Bibles know this incredible statement. If, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a what? 
new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Brothers and sisters, I, um, I was, years ago, I was driving uh, to work and I saw this big banner for a new church in town. And I'm not really, I don't have like much interest in critiquing other churches or whatever, but the sign really grabbed me. It said, biblical principles to maximize life and living. That was the, that was the invitation of the church. And I thought, okay, cool. Biblical principles, lots of them. And, and they do make your life better if you follow them. But is that really the invitation of Jesus? See, I don't know about you. My life doesn't need a few tweaks. I don't need just help having a better marriage or here's how to be a better parent. My sin is much deeper than just screwing up every now and again. I've just seen the darkness in my own heart. The jealousy, the envy, the ambition, the pride, the lust, the greed, the selfishness, you name it. And I dress it up. I look great. I'm a pastor for crying out loud. If anyone's right with God, it should be me. And then you realize, I don't need principles. I don't need little tweaks on my life. I need literally a new heart. Because I can't earn it. I, can't, I can dress up my outside with religious deeds. I'm better at that than anybody. I'm paid to be religious. <laughs> but is that an accurate representation of the problem? No. And is that an accurate representation of the solution? No. See, the gospel is abandoning your trust in any other thing to be right with God other than the sacrifice and work of Jesus. And that's why the hero of the faith, at least in one of the passages we looked at, is the dude who said, I'm so crummy, I can't even look at you, God. Have mercy on me. And Jesus says, yep, that's what he does. Because the issue isn't tweaking the outside. The issue is that when you step into a relationship with Christ, there's a new birth that happens. And for many of us, we don't even know what this means. We fall right into the same habits and patterns. And habits and patterns matter, but they don't make us right with God. They're no basis for confidence even after we come to Christ. See, it's not just we want to communicate to people who think Jesus is religious and say, no, 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 Jesus has something way more radical to offer. It's an entirely new heart. But it's for us who followed him for a while, who think that progressing in Christ means I just do more and more outward things. We were saved by grace, but now it's up to me. And we have a part to play, to be sure. But our basis for confidence with God was, has been and will be always the same thing. Have mercy on me, a sinner. So, if you're here and you're new to church, and you think, yeah, I mean, I have family members who say, if God won't let someone like me into heaven, I don't want to be there. They're convinced they're fundamentally good. And their justification for that is by looking at all of the people who aren't good in their minds. And it's a comparison game of outside to outside. And Jesus just comes and he says, 
no matter how polished your outside is, let's talk about your heart. I haven't murdered anybody. Yeah, but let's talk about anger. I haven't committed adultery. Let's talk about lust. Yeah, but I, I, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. God won't justify that. So the gospel really is for you. And if you're here and you've just screwed up and you think that somehow going to church buys him off, nope. Giving money buys him off, nope. Because this isn't about the outside. It's about the heart. So if you're here and this whole conversation's new to you, there's great news. The gospel means you receive and say yes to the finished work of Jesus for you. And when he says it is finished, that means there's nothing you add to the equation. There's no good deed you perform. There's no religious statement you've got to sign. That's the best news. And see, the fact that people don't see Christianity as good news blows my mind. Because it's the best news ever. He did all the work. The doors are wide open for anybody. For those of us that are disciples of Jesus, our prayer this morning is create in me a pure heart. Isn't it? Because minor digression, not planned, could be totally irrelevant and not make it to the 11 o'clock service. <laughs> I, all right, you're, as, a, as a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to confess your sin, right? And it's a biblical thing. It says, confess your sins uh, to one another, pray for one another, confess your sins to God. All right, I'm in. But when I confess my sin, you know what I want to do? I just want to confess the outside. God, I really screwed up. I shouldn't have been so mean to that person. It was a mistake. Instead of confessing, God, I don't like that I'm so angry. God, oh my goodness, you're right. I've totally overworked and neglected my family. Instead of, God, I'm really insecure and I want to be important. And so I overwork just to justify my existence. God, I'm so sorry I was flirty with this person who isn't my spouse. Instead of saying, God, adultery lurks in my heart. See, even disciples start playing this game where it's just the outside that matters. And so for you this morning, would you close your eyes? Why do we close them? Because Jesus does his best work with our eyes closed. Everyone knows this. Every week. Every week. If I can see your eyes, that means they're not closed. A <laughs> couple of thoughts for us. Where is it that you've placed security in your performance and behavior? Where is it that newness, new creationness, needs to explode in your heart? Where is it that we've lightened God's work by just making it about what other people see? Where have you hedged a confession?
Where have we missed it? And just while you're sitting there, would you just pray to him? Pray to me a pure heart, God. Pray to me a new heart, God. From the inside out, would you change me and renew me? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariner's Church Mission Viejo Campus. For more information about Mariner's, visit www.marinerschurch.org.